0: Now, usually for our text, I try to keep things short, 5 verses, 10 verses, uh, this, this one might be a little long, it's not 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, 58 verses, it's probably the longest we'll ever have, longest we've ever had for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's going to go by pretty quick, because it's a story you all know, David and Goliath. So turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I do want to read the whole chapter, but this is one of those that it arrests your attention because of the action in it and just what happens in it. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read the whole chapter. May the Lord add His blessing to this reading. First Samuel 17 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried into the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. Just means Jesse was really old. Verse 13, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said, unto his, Jesse said unto David his son, Now take for thy brethren an ephah, this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge." Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with him, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, "'What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God?' And the people answered him after this manner, saying, "'So shall it be done to the man that killeth him.' And Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, "'Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness?' I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them." seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass on his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he assayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him, and he took a staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came come to the valley, to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shaarim, even unto Gath and to Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, and put his armor in his tent. And when when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would uh, bless the reading of your word and open our hearts and minds to the wonderful truths here. We've heard this story many times, Lord, but... Help it to land new in our ears this morning and on our hearts. I ask that you would remove the distractions. Help me to be clear in what you have laid upon my heart and that you would take your truth and do the work that only you can do. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. That wasn't so bad, now was it? It's a long reading, but it's one of those that you read. I, I don't know how many times I've read it in my life and after every time you kind of just sit back and say wow what would what would it have been like to be there and see these things and to to experience that firsthand we know the story some of us have grown up with it singing songs like only a boy named david and going running around round in a sling and singing about it from the time we were just little kids or some people hear it later some people hear it later in life maybe so this is some of your first time, whether you're listening to this or sitting here this morning, it's a first time that you've heard this. Regardless, I think it's one of the best stories in the Bible. It's, it still captivates, and it, it's still powerful, and it's still re- relevant. Even thousands of years later, there's much it teaches us. If we listen, if we learn. There's no way that I can cover all of this in one sermon. What I want to do this week is I want to set the scene for the battle between David and Goliath, which we'll cover next week. And when we do look at the actual battle next week, we're going to give some perspectives maybe you haven't heard before, but there's some important principles we need to to look at this week. So let's step into the scene. Let's get to it back in verse 1. Verse 1 through verse 3 kind of tells us what's going on. The Philistines were gathered together, their armies to battle. And they were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. Those things mean nothing to us if you don't look at a map and you don't see what's going on. This tells the length of the battle. This is a big battle. They're stretched between two of these cities, and they're at a place called the Valley of Elah. It tells us in verse 2 that that's where Israel was. And verse 3 says the Philistines are on one side and the armies of Israel are on another. This chapter opens on a battlefield. It takes us right into a place of war. And the two who are fighting are bitter enemies. Israel and Philistia are bitter enemies. And this isn't the first go-around for them. If you want to turn back just a couple pages in your Bible to chapter 14 and verse 52... And this is what it says. There was sore war against the Philistine all the days of Saul. So for the entire reign of King Saul, there has been this bitter war between Israel and the Philistines. They've already fought. They fought before. The Philistines won sometimes and Israel won some of the times. But this one right from the get-go seems to be different. It seems to be... Uh, decisive, especially in the way that everything, every, the, the writer describes everything that's going on and the way he sets the scene, this is going to be important. Scripture is clear on who the two are. Israel are God's people, there's no question about that, and Philistines are worldly people. And what we see here is two opposing sides, two opposing systems, two opposing worldviews. And they're facing each other here in this valley for a very decisive battle. Like I said, when we opened, that would have been quite a scene to behold. You can look up pictures of the valley of Elah today. It's still there. It's it's quite beautiful. It's this long, broad valley floor, and it has these rising hills on either side. And Scripture tells us, on one mountain, on one side, is the camp and the army of the Philistines... And on the other is Israel, God's people. And they're facing each other. All of them have their armor on. All of the swords are ready and sharp. The spears are in hand. Their ranks are formed. They are in battle array. That's what the Scripture says, right? They are set in battle array. They're ready to go. But no one's doing a thing. (laughs) No one is advancing It's probably quiet at times, eerily quiet. There's no constant shouting, no constant clash of weapons as you would expect to hear. In fact, the valley floor is empty. And the two armies seem to be at a standstill, at a stalemate. Well, what's going on? Well, you see, the Philistines thought they had a secret weapon. The Philistines thought they had the one who would end this once and for all. The one that no opposition could overcome. And his name is Goliath. Now he's something else. Look in verse 4. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines. This is a man of battle. He's a champion. He has won probably just about every battle that he faced. His name is Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass on his head, armed with a coat of mail that weighs 5,000 shekels of brass, greaves of brass on his legs, armor on his back. Verse 7, The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, four by four, for a, um, a spear shaft with a head that weighs 600 shekels of iron, and somebody bears his shield. That's impressive. That's pretty intimidating. Six cubits and a span is over nine foot tall. Probably even with me standing on this step, he'd be taller than me. (laughs) He's a big, huge guy. The coat of mail that he wears, the armor that he wears, is 125 pounds. His spearhead weighs 15 pounds just by itself. And he's armored head to toe. Somebody carries a shield before him. This is a giant, literally, of a man and a giant of a threat. Israelites are not that big. I don't know if you've met many of them. They're they're not known for their ability to play basketball because they're so tall. They're just normal people. So can you imagine this nine-foot-tall giant out there and what a havoc he would make of the armies with his big, huge spear and sword? Nobody's going to face him. I mean, just look at the guy. Now, even the Bible tells us that King Saul was a big guy. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above all of the other Israelites. But Saul's not out there facing him. Even he won't face Goliath. And nobody moves an inch to oppose him. Actually, if you look in verse 20... It kind of gives the sense there in the end of the verses says the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. It kind of gives the sense that they would get themselves all hyped up and shouting and ready, okay, let's go. And then as soon as Goliath steps foot in the valley, that all stops and they all go back. Yeah, let's go. No way. We're going back here. And Goliath stands alone in the valley and brings the army to a standstill. That's the scene that we're facing. Now let me interject right here. You may say, yeah, cool story, bro. That sounds all kind of interesting, kind of sort of interesting to me, but what does it have anything to do with me today? I mean, are we supposed to come to church to, to learn about how the Bible's relevant to me and the things that I face right here and right now? Let me tell you, make no mistake, my friend, there is a battle going on today. There is a battle that we are in. We as a biblical New Testament church are right in the thick of it. We are in a battle. And it's going on all around us. And it's much more than just political. This is more than left versus right or liberal versus conservative. This runs much deeper than that. And you can see it everywhere. The battle rages on. Marriage ends in divorce over 50% of the time. Alcoholism runs rampant. Drug addiction runs rampant. And now drugs are legalized. Suicide, depression, mental instability are commonplace. People can't seem to tell whether they are male or female. And the courts of the land are beginning to step in to Try to tell parents how to raise their children regarding this. There is a case in Texas you ought to keep your eye on. Homosexual marriage is legalized, and counsel against any of this is quickly becoming criminal. It won't be long till the Bible is illegal you can see it in the hatred people have and for anything whether it's speech or whether it's written material or whether it's belief the hatred that they have for anything that goes against what they want to do and they protest and they're violent and they're breaking things and they're crying out in the streets against simple truth that's the battle The battle runs much deeper than whether you support Trump or Republicans or not. It's truth versus lies. It's right versus wrong. Good versus evil. That's the battle we're in right here and right now. And understand, this battle is not against people. People and the actions are just a manifestation of what's behind it all. This is a spiritual battle we're talking about. A spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, in this battle that we are in, on one side stands God and the truth of His Word and the representatives of His truth, His church. And on the other hand is Satan, his demons, falsehood, and yes, even those who willingly follow all of that. And we are engaged in a fight, in a struggle that has existed since the fall. And the battleground, where do we fight this battle? The battleground is society. The battleground is the hearts and minds of those around us. It's the hearts and minds of our family, of our children. It's in our schools, and yes, it's even in our churches. That's where we fight this fight. We're fighting for truth. We're fighting for good and for right. And listen, the enemy is intimidating. The enemy enemy is impressive even. (laughs) They have their champions who they think are unbeatable. Science and evolution. People, I've never seen people put so much faith in a theory. You understand, it's never, ever, ever been called the theory of creation. It's been called the fact of creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God made everything. We don't claim that to be a theory, yet science puts all of their eggs in one basket in the theory of evolution. It's not a proven fact. Or how about transgenderism, or homosexuality, or drugs, or alcohol, or pornography, or fornication. All of these big, huge issues that are out there. Even a so-called Christianity that blends everything together, that stands for nothing and accepts everything. These are Goliath issues that we face. And they are bold, too. I want you to see what Goliath says in verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, this is Goliath, and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. There's no mistake in Goliath's intention. He's calling God's people out. I defy you. I defy your God. Send a man. Let's fight. Let's see who's better. The challenge has been issued. And listen, we have reached that point in this spiritual battle. You understand that? The world has us out. The challenge has been issued. Here is where we stand, Bible believers. What are you going to do about it? This is, this is where we stand. Just try and come out against us. Just try and speak the truth and see what happens. You don't support us, we'll take away your tax exemption. We'll label you pastors and you preachers and the Bible that you preach as purveyors of hate speech. Come out and face us and let's see who wins. Is not that the attitude of the world? It is, isn't it? The Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 5, it says, Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. Okay, Very King James. It's talking about people that just kind of walk around with their sin like they're pulling it on a cart and they're proud of it. The Bible says, that say These people say, Let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. In other words, we're going to do what we're going to do. If God's got a problem, then come down and talk to us. Is that, that's the mentality we, we face. Woe unto them, it goes on, to them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's where we are. That's the day and age that we live in. Wrong is right and right is wrong. Darkness is light and light is darkness. And it's getting more and more like that every day. And we can't ignore it anymore. I think perhaps in the past, we we might have thought this was a phase. Oh, it can't keep going on like this. They're not really going to legalize gay marriage. They're not really going to legalize marijuana. I mean, come on. There was probably that way of thinking within the church. This is just a phase. This has got to pass, but it hasn't. It's here. And it's getting worse. And it's intimidating. And it's even impressive in its boldness. What will we do? Look what Israel did in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Go down to verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Have you you seen him? Look at that guy. I've got no chance against Him. No way am I going out there. No way am I going up against that. That would be certain death. It's a natural human reaction to be sure. I, I would probably be scared. I'm not a big guy. If there's a nine foot tall giant with a spear that's probably bigger around than me, I'm not going to be rushing out there to meet Him. It's a natural human reaction, right? I could probably run faster. That's what I've got. But it's a natural human reaction to be scared. But there's a problem. Israel was focused more on the appearance. That guy looks really big and scary. They were focused more on the problems rather than the power that they had with them. Maybe we've gotten a little bit like that. Maybe we've got focused on some of the wrong things like the size of the issue or the problem. Do I really want to try to take that on? Do I really want to try to get into that conversation? We've had those thoughts, right? What good is anything that I'm going to do going to say? Or I don't know enough. There's a lot of things that we can put in there, but we're focusing, I think, on the wrong thing. See, listen, here's what happens. We can be just like the army. We can get all riled up on a Sunday like this with a message like this and go out these doors ready to to fight the good fight. And as soon as one of these Goliath issues shows its face, whether it's in conversation or on the media or maybe in somebody in our lives, we clam up and retreat. And we're focused on the issue. We're focused on the size of the issue rather than on the power of the One whom we serve. You understand this morning, Just as with Israel, we are the people of God that go in his power. Have we forgotten that? Or do we see what's going on in the world and think we're already defeated? Do we think they've already won? I mean, why even try? We can't do anything anyways kind of an attitude. Or do we know who we serve? You remember what it said in Romans 8? Let me read you some of those verses from the end of the chapter. Things we need to keep in mind. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You understand that? If God is with us, who's going to stand in opposition? The answer is nobody. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, you know, tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is a is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powers. You see, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers of darkness. He's talking about satanic, demonic ways of thinking and satanic and demonic influences. And it says right here that that's not going to separate us from Christ. In fact, we are more than conquerors through those. Acts chapter 1 says, "Ye shall receive power, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. In all the world. Those are the facts. And I think we know those way down deep. It's who we are. Yet sometimes we can forget. Can't we? Israel forgot who they were. They got too scared. You know what? I think maybe we can get a little scared. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're scared of upsetting the balance we've got. I think we've gotten pretty good at this balance. We have the approval and things of the world. And then we have our faith quietly. Because we know if we get too much on the faith side, uh, that's going to uh, mess with some things in the world, right? Like people will probably not like us. And maybe that could affect our job. Maybe that could affect some other things. So we, we try to keep a balance of, of people liking us and, and, and uh, staying in favor with the world. But yet we have our faith, but it's quietly. It's behind closed doors sometimes. It's like a Sunday morning faith. And meanwhile, the battle in the world stalls and the enemy walks around the battleground unchecked, unchallenged, calling us out and holding us hostage. What do we do? may I say, right here and right now in the day that we live in, facing the things that we are facing, we need some more Davids. We need some men and women of God who are ready to stand up. It's time we stand up for what is right, stand up for what is true, and have the same attitude that He did, that rather running from the battle, we run to the battle to face the Goliaths of the day. Look in the text, we'll see. We read now that he was sent on an errand by his father. And I want you to hold on to that little bit for next week's message. But when he arrives, he sees and he hears what's going on, and his response is awesome. Verse 22, David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, ran into the army, And came and saluted his brethren, and as he talked with him, behold, there came up the champion, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. David heard the same things that the rest of the army hears. And of course, we saw in verse 25 the reaction of Israel. Have you seen this man that has come up? No way are we going out there. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's having none of this running away. You see his comments? What are you guys doing? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is to stand in defiance of God's people? Why aren't you guys doing anything? Go take care of this. This is a done deal. We're the armies of God and he's just an uncircumcised, which means heathen, Philistine. How can you guys let him do this? That's what he's saying. It's pretty clear in David's mind, right? Let's go out there and take care of this because God is with us and God is not going to let Goliath win. See, it's not, Dave, it's not Goliath calling them out anymore. Now it's David. David's calling them out, but for the right. He's seen and he has heard the same as the rest of them. But his focus is not, his focus is different, isn't it? His focus is not on the appearance. He don't care how big Goliath is. He knows God is bigger. His focus is not on the intimidation or the perceived inability to stand. His focus is on God, and he knows that with God, Goliath doesn't stand a chance. We are the army of God. Let's go and take care of this, guys. And listen, beloved, we need the same perspective today. We are His church, and we stand in His power against what is going on. Who are these people who think they can simply change the truth of the Word of God? Marriage is what it always has been. One man and one woman for life. Who are these people that can say something or feel something and that changes the truth? No. In the beginning God created them male and female. Male and female created He them. That's the simple truth. Who are these people that think they can stand against it? That changes nothing. Why have we not stood up against that? The battle's already a done deal. We know that this is true. That this is powerful. That this is living. So why do we not face these things head on? You understand darkness has no power over light. Lies do not stand a chance against the truth. No matter how impressive. No matter how intimidating. I don't care how dark a place may be. If I got a flashlight, I ain't scared. Because the minute I turn on that flashlight, it's not dark anymore now, is it? I don't care how dark the world is. I don't care how big their Goliaths are. I know I know the power that goes with me in God. And none of that stands a chance. So what shall be done? That's the right heart, right? What shall be done about this? Let's go take care of this because we can. In fact, we are the only ones who can take care of this. Now listen. Expect flack from those who are comfortable. Expect those who are scared to talk about you. Because you're making them all uncomfortable. Verse 28. This is Eliab, David's older brother. When he heard his brother speaking, his little brother, he gets mad. He says, "Why did you come down here? Who'd you leave those sheep with? Hey, little sheep herder, where's your sheep? Why don't you go back to your sheep? I know you're just pride and you've got a foolish heart. You just want to come see the battle. Go home, David. We'll take care of this. (laughs) David made him uncomfortable because he shows up, says, hey, what are you guys doing? This is Not even a contest, but yet Eliab is one of those ones who are standing scared. Listen, David's motives are questioned. David's character is questioned. He is belittled. He's told, stop stirring up trouble and go home. That's going to be the case. You understand that? When you start making people uncomfortable and you get up all in people's business by being all convicting and convincing with the truth, they're not going to like it. They're going to respond like this. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're just making trouble. Or, oh, yeah, you little church. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Let them talk. Don't let it stop you. Didn't let David stop him, right? There are more important things that are at stake. Verse 29. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Beloved, there is a cause and it's eternity. It's heaven or hell for all that we meet. Your families, your children, your friends. For those that turn away and walk away from God, we're talking eternal blessings. We're talking eternal things. Will you let the world be the loudest voice in all of that? Will you let the world that be the one that defines everything for them? Will you let the world be the one that counsels them on how to live and what to live for and who God is or God is not and what really matters? Or will we stand in the gap between lies and between truth? Will we stand there with the truth? Will you stand on the battlefield and say, enough, this is true. God's Word is true. This defines our life. This tells us of God and what we need to do. This is better than anything the world can give. This is life and love and peace and happiness. And whatever goes against this is not true but lies. Ezekiel chapter 22 says this, I sought for a man to stand among them, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land but i found none don't let that be true of you god is looking for someone to stand there with the truth and say enough this is true that is lie don't let that be true of me or faith baptist Will we stand with and will we stand for the truth because there is a cause and somebody needs to stand up for the cause. And beloved, that's not anybody else but you and me. It's time that we get in the battle. Stop waiting for somebody else to fight the battle and do it ourselves. Get in the battle at home. Get in the battle at work. Get in the battle in the community that we live in. Stand up for the truth and stand boldly in His power. Because I don't think we have so far like we should have. We've retreated. We've hidden. And it ain't working. You see, not fighting is losing by default. Any team that goes to a game and sits on the benches and doesn't go out on the field and play the game is going to lose by default, right? It's just the way it goes. It's the same with the spiritual battle. We could show up in all our armor and polished and we've got our banners flying and then we just stand there and do nothing. It's losing. We need to get in the battle and have that attitude of David. Let's go take care of this. There's a cause that is bigger and God is with us. For time's sake, we won't read it, but um, David gets questioned. King Saul hears it, brings David in and says, you can't do this. Actually, I want you to look in verse 32, what David says to Saul. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. I'll go. Nobody else is going. I'll go and fight him. And Saul says, well, you can't because you're just a young boy. You don't have the experience. Who, Who do you think you are to go against somebody like this? You don't have the experience. You don't have the learning. You don't know as much as they do. You don't have the resources that they do. You don't have the tools. People say that, right? Or maybe we can even think that. But let me tell you right now, we have exactly what we need. We have God. And have not you experienced in your life God's working the same as David? Here's what David says. Hey, this ain't a problem. Listen, I was out there herding sheep and a lion and a bear. They came and took one of the lambs. God delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. God delivered me out of the paw of the bear. He's going to do the same with this Philistine. ain't no different. (laughs) Look back in your life and see how many times God has brought you through. And God has stood with you. And God has made His truth known. It's going to be the same when we fight the spiritual battle. He's going to stand with us. He's going to bring us through. God is bigger than any situation that we can face. This is nothing for Him. David says, I know it because I've seen it. And so Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. That's sad. You know what he should have said? He should have said, alright, let's go. I'll go with you too. But he says, nope, go, the Lord be with you. I'm not going. Go ahead, David. You do it, and good luck to you. Listen, we stand even if we stand alone. Even if our family doesn't agree, even if our friends don't agree or our co-workers don't agree, we stand on the truth, even if we have to stand alone. Last thing I want to focus on for this morning is the weapons. Look in verse 38. We'll move to a close. Saul armed David with his armor. So this probably would have been the best in Israel. This is the king's armor, right? He put a helmet of brass on his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded Saul's sword upon his armor, and says, and he essayed to go. He said, whoa, 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 hold on. This ain't working. For he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. He takes the best armor in the land. He says, No. I haven't tested these. I haven't proven that they're going to work. So you know what? He he puts them off. He hadn't used them in battle. He didn't know their effectiveness. So you know what he does? He throws it off and he takes with him what he knows to work. He took a staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a scrip and his sling was in his hand. He had used that probably hundreds, if not thousands of times. Both the staff and the sling. He had proved them. He knew exactly how it worked. He knew exactly where to aim. He knew exactly what that staff would do. Proven weapons. Listen, there are some unproven weapons out there in this battle that we face. There are things that people are trying to use in our day and age against the enemy. New methods. New methods of non-offensive strategy. Let's not call anybody out on sin. Let a church never talk about hell or Satan or sin or anything that offends. Let's give everybody safe places. Let's not keep scoring any games. There's no discipline. And everybody is just okay, alright? That's the new methods. That hasn't worked. That hasn't worked. You know what has produced? A generation that is self-centered, self-seeking, And lost. That hasn't worked. What people need to hear. And I don't care what the color of their skin is. I don't care where they come from. I don't care what age they are. They need to hear the truth of there is a right and there is a wrong. There is sin and there is accountability to the God of all things. We need to know why we must be saved. We need a Savior, and we need to be told why. We need to be told why we must live righteously and as a witness to the world. Why these things matter for eternity. And too many churches have taken unproven weapons to the battle. Things that don't fit a church. Looking like the world to gain the world. Sounding like the world to gain the world. Removing the Bible from sermons. That is not going to work. We need to take the proven weapons that we know, that we have tested, and that we have proven. And I want you to see that. We're going to close in Ephesians chapter 6. So turn over there if you could. We are not unarmed in this battle. We have weapons, we have armor that has been given to us by God, and it is proven, it fits perfectly. It works perfectly. They are reliable. And with practice, we can know exactly how they are going to react in any given situation. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Who? In your own power? No, you stand in the Lord's power. In fact, it says that, in the power of His might. You be strong in Him. We don't fight this battle on our own strength. We can't stand against Goliath. We never could and we never will. You hold on to some of that for next week. We stand in His power. We stand strong in the Lord, in His truth. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We read this earlier, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You understand, you might not take down every Goliath issue this world faces, but you can do everything you can to stand firm. You can do everything in your power To be the witness that you can be for your co-workers and your friends. And in your family and in your house, you can say what Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That may be your stand, and you put on the armor, and you fight all that you can, and you may just stand, but that's what we are to do. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's the belt that holds everything together. His truth anchors everything. If that's off, if the truth of the Word is not there, everything else is going to fall. Having your loins good about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. It's righteousness that protects our heart. It's righteousness that guards us when people attack. When people attack and make fun of you and, and say despairing things about you, it's knowing that you're, first of all, standing in the truth and doing what is right that guards your heart. Men may oppose me, but I know that I'm right with God. And that becomes a shelter for your heart, a breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is the firm foundation, right? It's what we walk in, it's what we go to the world with. Verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's faith that keeps us safe. Even if your shield is paper thin at times, it's enough. Even if we just got a little bit of faith, God takes that and uses that, doesn't He? Some people's faith, it seems like, must be six inches thick. Man, they've got these big, huge doors for shields. And sometimes I I feel like I've got a little paper plate. (laughs) But it's enough. God uses it. Take the shield of faith, and he'll, He'll protect you. Verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation. You see, Salvation protects your mind. How do you know salvation is true? You've experienced it, haven't you? You know what it's like to be brought from death into life. And you know what the Bible says that everybody needs that. You know how much that protects your mind from evil thoughts? I know this word to be true. Even though the devil might try to get in there and, and get me to doubt, I've experienced the truth of this word firsthand. You know what? That guards your mind. It's a helmet of salvation. And of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword that does the work of God. You'll notice there is no armor given for the back, because God's got your back. And we are not in the business of turning around and retreating. We are in the business of always pressing forward. You know Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not talking defensively like hell's attacking us. The idea is I'm going to build my church and the church is going to go forward and the gates of hell are not going to stop it as it advances. Those are our proven weapons. Those are weapons that are effective. Second Corinthians says this, We walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Listen, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, that's our weapons. That's what we have. That's what you have at your disposal to fight this battle. That's more than enough. That's exactly what we need. The Word of God, faith, the truth of God, the Gospel, living righteous, protected by the knowledge of His salvation. That's everything that we need. The question is, will we stand up for the cause? That's a bottom line. It's going to take some work, you understand? It's going to take some faith and it's going to take some courage. You're going to have to put in the work at home with your children. When they are constantly bombarded by all of this junk at school, you're going to have to put in the work at home and say, hey, now this is what the Bible says. Perhaps we ought to turn off the TV and turn off the games and turn off the Facebook and teach the truth of God to our children and our families. Maybe we need some boldness at, around the so-called water cooler at work. When those conversations start, will we be bold enough to say, you know what, this is, this is what I believe the Bible says. When current events are talked about, will you proclaim the truth of God? Will we care enough and be bold enough to share the gospel? And will we stand for truth in this community around us, however that may work out? Will we as a church toe the line and say, there is a cause, we got this. Or will we sit by, huddled and scared, and say, I'm not going out there. So perhaps this morning we need to pray for a heart like David. I need a heart like David. I want to look past the problems and past the issues to God who is bigger and greater than all of them. I want to see what needs to be done and then rise and run to the battle rather than running from it because there is a cause. God's truth, God's words, people's eternity. And it's a cause worth fighting for, isn't it? It's worth standing up for even in the face of opposition even if we have to do it alone. But you understand we really won't be alone. God will be with us. So will you take your stand this morning in His might, in His power, with His armor and His presence? Is there not a cause?